0: Well, we're in a series called Zip It where we're talking about our mouth, our speech, and how it affects other people, how it affects our lives. And uh, today we're talking about the topic of lying. And, and so all of us know lying is wrong, but, uh, but sometimes we need to re- be reminded about lying so we can notch it up a couple of notches because it's an issue actually for all of us because we lie in all different ways. It's not just speaking an untruth but we lie when we exaggerate or we distort things or twist things. Uh, we deceive people by only telling them a partial truth or, or we deny things that are true that we shouldn't or we, we break our promises. We omit key details. I mean, there's all these different ways to, to be dishonest and, and we need to, to focus on that. and um, The stats... Are alarming. I, I got to tell you, people have done different studies on this, and and one predominant study has shown that women—it's Father's Day, so I can mention women—lie uh, on average three times a day. That's over a thousand lies a year. I am shocked at that. Now, men only six times a day, but women. <laughs> you know, but it's Father's Day, so women three times a day. That's bad stuff. And so we really do need to be reminded of some of these biblical truths. And, and the first thing we might start with is just why we lie. It's almost always self-serving uh, to make us look better or to keep us out of trouble or to cover up a mistake that, that we made. It gets us out of awkward situations, right? And um, Sometimes, at the very best, we lie to protect somebody else's feelings, but even when we're doing that, it's really for ourselves, so they don't, won't think that we're such a jerk that we would just tell them the truth, right? I mean, even when we're protecting somebody else's feelings, it's sort of self-serving in a lot of ways. And I think for Christians, you know, we, we lie, and part of the motivation is because we don't trust God enough. And so lying is pervasive in our culture. I mean, we see it all the time. Of course, we see it maybe more on the national stage. You know, I I think maybe it seems like politicians have always broken promises, but it seems like we've notched it up a level where now people just, you know, they just lie straight up and they repeat it and repeat it, it's almost like that the, the thought in our day or the belief in our day that is that if you say a lie often enough and if it's, if it's repeated by the media enough, that the majority of people will, will just believe it just because of the sheer volume of how it's passed along. And, and that could be true. I don't know. What seems new to me also besides that today is a lot of times in the political realm, it's like politicians who are sort of caught doing something wrong will say that the other side is doing that exact same wrong. I don't know if you've noticed it. That to me is kind of a new thing that I had never really noticed before, but uh, it's just different. And of course, the reason we're talking about it here today is because lying isn't just a problem with politicians is it we all struggle with lying we all struggle to communicate the whole truth and and if you're a little foggy on that I would ask for a show of hands but I don't want to call people out for liars but uh, you know just try some of these on most common lies I'm fine. Nothing's wrong. Ever hear that one? When obviously something is wrong. Or or if it's an excuse at work or something. Well, my phone died. Or I was caught in traffic. Or there was construction on the way. Or if you live in Fremont, a train stopped me. You know? We have that. That's a nice one to pull out every once in a while. And then I'm on my way. Even though we're still in the shower. We twist the truth. And my fear is that for Christians, maybe the one, one of the most common lies may be, I'll pray for you. And it's not that we don't intend to pray. I know for me, it's like when I say that I'll pray for somebody, I've realized that. I have to stop right there or I'll pray with them or as I'm walking away, I will pray because I, I know I intend to pray for them in the future but I don't want to forget and I said I would pray so I'll pray usually within the, the next minute or two just for fear that I won't remember this during my prayer time or I'll forget. So we have all these ways of dealing with this but, but basically I, I have a big confession to make. So confession, your pastor has lied repeatedly. And so here, yeah, oh no, yeah. I appreciate that, yeah, all right. And so here, it is. this is a lie where I used to not do this, but now I do this regularly. And I'm not even sure that I'm gonna be very good at stopping it. So I'm telling you this so you can hold me accountable. And maybe you've got caught in this lie too. And here's how it goes. I have read and understand the above terms and conditions in order for, and then we check the box. Actually, a few years ago, because they, I had to check that box, I would actually go to the site and, you know, click on the thing, terms and conditions, and then read it. That took a long time, and I didn't understand it. And so then I started just kind of skimming it, because I'm going to check the box. Now, I just check the box. Anybody else? You know, I won't even ask because it'll just justify my own. I checked the box, but it's a lie. It's me lying. I don't even know who I'm lying to, but I'm lying, and I'm lying to somebody because somebody—they're not—they're checking that. They won't let me do it. It's a lie. So I think it's good for us to remember, just remind ourselves what God says. We're going to do it through three questions, and basically, where did lying come from? You know we got to kind of nail down that, and then why lying is wrong. I mean, that's pretty obvious, but then more importantly, how do we stop it? So first of all, where did lying originate? And of course, it started right back in the garden. Most of us could identify that. God created man and woman, placed them in a garden paradise with just one rule, which we actually needed one rule, because otherwise, if we were just obedient and we had no way to be disobedient, then we wouldn't be truly free, we would just be droids. So that's why God made just one simple rule, out of all these trees of the garden, one, gar- one tree in the middle of the garden, don't eat from that one tree. That's it. And then Satan, in the form of a certain serpent came, and started telling lies. Those lies, by the way, resulted in the spiritual and physical death of people in in a corrupt world from then on. But anyway, and basically the lie was this. Satan's lie then and it's his lie today is that God doesn't have your best interests at heart. God doesn't want what's best for you. There's something else that's best for you that he's hiding from you. It goes all the way back to Genesis 3, 1. You'll remember this story. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. And so that's what he's saying and then it continues as, as she says this the serpent said to the woman you shall surely you surely will not die. The serpent says you surely will not die, which was a lie. And then he says for God knows that in the day you eat from it your eyes will be open and you'll be like God knowing good and evil. Lie. And this is why, by the way, that Jesus, during his ministry, said that Satan was the father of lies. He said that in John 8, 44. He says, as he's arguing with some of the Pharisees who are against him, actually, they're trying to kill him. He says, you are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. The problem for all of us is because those first lies cause. Eve, and then by extension, Adam, to sin, disobey God. Sin entered into the world, entered into all of us by our nature. And now we all have these issues of sin, including the issue of lying that we have to deal with. And that's why Jesus says in Matthew 15, 19, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders, those last two, lies. He's saying we got, we, it comes from our hearts. So now we've all dealing with it. So then, by the way, we probably need to, that's where it came from. Well, then just remind ourselves, well, why is it wrong? Well, first of all, it's wrong because God says it's wrong. God wants us to be truthful, it's morally wrong. For example, Proverbs twelve twenty two says, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal faithfully are his delight. Abomination, by the way, is a strong word. Lip, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. God's standard is telling the truth, and God hates lying. And God talks about lying, of course, In the Ten Commandments, most famously, commandment number nine. One of the places that's recorded for us is in Exodus. And in Exodus 2016, it says, You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. That actually means kind of two things. It really points us to two settings. One is a court setting, but it's not limited to that we know from Scripture. So, in court, you shouldn't lie, but you shouldn't lie in general. It means both of those things. And so, there's a problem with lying. Proverbs 14.5 says, a trustworthy witness will not lie, but a false witness utters lies. Now, we can dig a little deeper into lying, and actually, some theologians would make a case that lying is not always a sin some would say there is one circumstance when lying is not a sin, and that's when you lie or deceive somebody to immediately save human life, human, innocent human life. So if there's some situation you're in, and you tell a falsehood that's going to immediately save an innocent life, that that's okay. And there's, And the reason they say that is there's a couple of examples in the Old Testament that flow that way. And the first one is the the Hebrew midwives. Back when uh, the Jewish people were enslaved in Egypt, the Hebrew people, and while they were there, about the time that Moses was born, there was a command from the Pharaoh that the Hebrew midwives, that they would kill all male babies that were born. And they didn't want to do that. They believed in God's law. It was higher than Pharaoh's law. So they didn't do that, which was good. But then they lied to cover that up. The other example is Rahab the prostitute. Later in history, when those same Hebrew people uh, were entering into the promised land, They had to go through Jericho. They had some spies spying out the land. There were a couple of them in Jericho. They were being found out, and Rahab, the prostitute, hides them, and then she has to lie in order to do that. But then because of that, God protects her, and she's blessed. She actually becomes part of God's people, actually ends up in the lineage of Jesus himself. And so people will point to those and say, so therefore we know that in this one circumstance, when you're lying to save an innocent life that is immediately in danger, it's okay. But then other theologians would push back and say, no, lying is lying and lying is always a sin, but sometimes there's a principle of the greater good or the lesser of two evils. So yeah, lying is still wrong, but An innocent person dying, or a whole bunch of innocent people dying, that's a lot worse, so we lie to avoid the greater of the evil, or we lie to promote the more moral of the choices. And, you know, that's probably the better way of looking at it, because if we don't, uh, then we start finding ways to justify sin, and that's a very slippery slope. And I say all that, and let me just stop right there, because we got on a rabbit trail there, so let me just stop. None of us will probably ever be in that circumstance, all right? Because I could see your wheels turning. Oh, maybe it's not always a lie. So maybe some of the times I've lied. No, none of us will probably ever face that circumstance in our entire life, right? 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 Okay, yeah, we can move on. So off the rabbit trail. So just keep that in your mind. So lying, what God is pointing out is that lying destroys justice if lying is happening in our court system, for example. God took this so seriously that in the Old Testament when he gave the law and he gave this ninth command, after that in the law is a severe punishment if anybody lies in court against his brother. And I'm going to read that for you. It's kind of interesting. It's in Deuteronomy 19, 16. He says this, "'If a malicious witness rises up against a man "'to accuse him of wrongdoing, "'then both the men who have the dispute "'shall stand before the Lord, before the priests, "'and the judges who will be in office in those days. "'The judges shall investigate thoroughly, "'and if the witness is a false witness,' and he has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him just as he had intended to do to his brother. Thus you shall purge the evil from among you. Do you hear what this is saying? Do you you get it? They're saying, for example, because we we know that in court systems, people lie all the time. We take that for granted now. And God's saying, let's use the example, uh, somebody's murdered somebody, and... Uh, The guy has a friend who's giving him an alibi. So the guy really, he's guilty, but he has a friend to come and say he wasn't there. He was with him all night. We hear this all the time, right? And so the friend comes and gives him an alibi, but the alibi is a false alibi. By this standard, if they, and so let's say the murderer gets convicted anyway, because they find out it's a false alibi. So the guy's sentenced to death or life in prison. By this standard in the Old Testament, then the guy who was giving false testimony to create an alibi, he would also get life in prison or the death sentence. Same punishment kind of a deal. That's kind of what God is talking about. And by the way, if we had a standard of that, because what happens now? Why are people lying all the time in court? Because the worst they face is a perjury charge. And most of those aren't prosecuted. If we had that standard, there would be a lot more truthfulness in court, right? I think there would. And so that's how God feels about justice in general, how important it is. False witnesses hinder justice. Of course, we see that in the greatest example in all of history is that that's what happened to Jesus. It's recorded for us in more than one place in the New Testament, but Mark 14, says, Now the chief priests and the whole council kept trying to obtain testimony against Jesus to put him to death, and they were not finding any. For many were giving false testimony against him, but their testimony wasn't consistent. They'd have, remember, at least two people saying the same thing, verse 23. Verse 57, some stood up and began to give false testimony against him, saying, we heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with hands, and in three days I will build another made without hands. Which is actually not what Jesus said. And and then it continues, not even in this respect was their testimony consistent. Here Jesus, who he died... A criminal's death, not because he was a criminal. He died a criminal's death in order to pay for our sin penalty so that we could be forgiven and God's justice could be intact because God says his justice demands that sin, wrongdoings, be punished. And so we see that, you know, today, false testimony is just kind of common in the justice system, but also in the rest of our life. It's even worse than that. It's not just in the court system now. Sometimes it's, you know, before the court thing ever happens, you have, you know, things like uh, Jesse Smollett, who cr- falsely kind of creates a whole crime thing that wasn't even true to begin with that gets investigated. And stuff like this happens all the time. Today, people lie for various reasons, and it's almost somehow always self serving. But here's another angle. A lot of times people lie for causes. And sometimes they lie for even good causes. So people lie to promote causes that they believe in. And sometimes they're even even lying to promote a good cause. But if people don't have truth as a central value, they will be tempted to lie to promote their cause. And when those lies are discovered, even lies promoting good causes, it destroys or erodes trust. It makes people skeptical. And then if there's no accountability for the lies that they told, people then become distrustful of the whole system. You know, think about, think about the next time that there is a pandemic and what the CDC says. People are going to view that completely differently than the way they did it at the beginning. It's stuff like that. Because all the stuff that's come out. And people just feel like they hadn't been told the whole truth sometimes. Just you know, just lay it out, the whole thing to us. You know, and let us figure it out. And so lies, even for good causes can distort priorities, can, can lead to a misuse of limited funds. E- even if they're good causes, that can happen. It's still a negative. And I believe that's going to stuff like that, I think, is going to happen more and more as our whole culture drifts away from this central value of truth. I mean, now people have, you know, same thing that happened in the first century, by the way. You know, what is truth? People don't even believe there is truth. Sometimes so, then what is lying if there's no truth? But we know it's not just the public realm. We know in our personal lives how important this issue of honesty is. Because lying destroys relationships, lying destroys trust, which messes up relationships. Proverbs 9 6 uh, 6, 19 says, a false witness who utters lies and one who spreads strife among the brothers. He, there he's talking about, hey, you can lie. It causes all kinds of disunity. It causes problems in churches. It can cause disunity. You know, at work, in our families, especially in our marriages, lies destroy unity. Lies destroy trust in relationships, and you've got to have trust. And think about this. When you lie in a relationship, you can be forgiven. And, and, and if you've lied to a Christian, they should forgive you. We're called to forgive if you're asking for forgiveness. Of course, asking for forgiveness is admitting that you lied. You can get forgiveness, you know, in a couple of days. But the trust doesn't come back that fast. Because forgiveness is not amnesia. Forgiveness is you don't hold it against them. It's not that you forget it ever happened. So you're not holding it against them. But what you need for your relationship to be restored, forgiveness, it's like, okay, you don't owe me for the lie anymore. We're square. But trust takes longer. Actually, trust only happens through accountability over time. It's when we're accountable, I'm going to show you so you, you don't have to worry whether I'm doing this again or doing the same thing or whatever it may be. I'm going to show you this and I invite the accountability to make that happen. So that's just, that's just true in relationships. So you can be forgiven relatively quickly. Trust takes a little bit longer, happens over time, although it can be restored and, and God helps us do this. And we think about lying, just think about, vows that we make you know marriage vows that's a promise for life you know that I don't think people talk, think about that much so so that the issue is all right if it's this big of a problem how do we stop lying that's the most important issue that we're going to cover how do we stop lying Well, the first thing is that we learn to control our mouths in general. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago out of James. You know, that we bridle our tongue, that we watch our tongue. It's small, you know, it's a half-pound slab of trouble. I mean, it's going to cause issues. We need to watch it. And so control our tongue. I already talked about that. But the other way that we stop lying is that we just get to more simplistic. We let our yes be yes and our no be no and stop putting in all the other things that twist and distort and mislead and deceive, just yes and no. Actually, that's what Jesus says. In Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 33, he says, Again, you have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth; for it is the footstool of His feet, or by Jerusalem; for it is the city of the great King. Nor shall you make an oath by your by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Believe me, I know you can't do that. Here's the deal. So years ago, here's this verse, and in another translation, it says, "Don't don't make an oath or don't swear." And uh, I was in a position where uh, in another state, at another job, where after a bunch of training, I had to go before a judge, and then I had to swear my allegiance to the U.S. Constitution and the Commonwealth of Virginia. But as I was doing that, because I had to say all those words, I didn't want to say swear, because I was thinking of, because I knew Jesus had just said that. So I actually... Asked to substitute a word where I said affirm, I affirm, not I swear, I affirm. That's what I did. I'm not saying you should do that. I'm not saying anybody else should do that. I'm not even sure that was doing any good. But I'm just saying, I remember because Jesus said that, I didn't want to say those words. That I swear this or that. And, but it's not so much Jesus is saying, hey, don't say certain words. That's why I'm, telling, I'm not advising you to do that. The point of Jesus was just saying, hey, let your yes be yes and your no, no, and you shouldn't have to say a bunch of other things to convince people that you're telling the truth. And so why did this happen? Why did Jesus say that? Well, because the Jewish people knew that sometimes they needed to take an oath or a vow, just like we do with our when we get married. But the Jewish people knew also that the best thing, you know, the highest person that they can make a vow in front of would be God but at this point in history Jewish people weren't saying the name of God because they did not want to violate another command which is don't take God's name in vain which by the way people in our culture violate all the time and people in this room probably violate all the time all the time a lot of the time yeah Yeah, a lot of accountability here today yeah and so, what's he saying? So, people were not wanting to use the name of God, but trying to invoke God. So, then they would say things like, well, uh, on Jerusalem, or on the temple, or on, you know, on the sacrifice. Or, and they would use these for euphemisms for God, just instead of saying God. Or by heaven. It's the same thing we do today. Have you noticed? You know, people will say, you know, on my life. On my mother's grave, stuff like that. But you know what we do mostly today where we add stuff? Is we say this. Well, to tell you the truth, and then we go on. And it's kind of like, are you just saying that everything else you said was not true? You know, or that we interject every once in a while. Well, honestly... You know, but God's saying we, we shouldn't be doing stuff like that. As people of God, we know that, hey, we're all, we've all sinned against God. We all deserve separation from him. But God, and, and we've, all been in, we, we've all inherited a sin nature back from Adam and Eve. But God loves us anyway in spite of our sin. But he's totally just. Sin has to be punished. And so how does he love us? Well, he loves us so much that he allows his one and only son, Jesus, to come be falsely accused and be sentenced a criminal's death in order to pay for our sins. And if we would just see that, and if we would just put our trust in Christ alone with a desire to follow him, we're forgiven from everything. But then we live a different life. We start wanting to follow him and wanting to do life his way. And Jesus is telling us that, hey, as believers, people should see you differently. You should act different. You should be different. Here's how he wraps that up in the very next verse, verse 37. He says, but let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond that, these, he says, is of evil. And James 5.12 says the same thing. He says, hey, followers, be so known for your truthfulness that you just say yes or no, or you say this is the the way it is, and that there's no deceit in you, and people aren't asking you to, to swear or make an oath or a vow or expecting you to throw in any other clauses to make what you're saying appear more truthful. Just be a straight shooter is what he's telling us to do. That's how we should be known as believers. So how do we stop? Well, we get control of our tongue. We just say, you know, our yes is yes and our no is no, and we just shoot it straight. And then the last way that I want to talk about today, that we stop lying, that we can get a grip, that we can make this happen, is that we speak truth in love. And that's what Paul tells us to do in Ephesians chapter 4. In verse 15, he says, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. So he's telling us, hey, speak truth. Believers, speak truth in love, especially in the context of the church. And then he goes on to say, hey, Paul goes on to teach in this chapter, That God, for all of us who are true believers, not everybody here, but all of us who are believers, and we're only saved by grace, it's no merit. All of us who are believers, God has gifted us through his spirit with abilities to serve the church. And so we all have these. And he talks about how we all come together with these different gifts to make church work. We call it here, we call that, that's our fourth D, right? deploying for others. I won't even ask you to go through that. You know, just discover truth, decide on Jesus, demonstrate change, deploy for others. That's what we help people do here. And he says, hey, our lives should be different. He continues in verse 20, Paul does, he says, but you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with lust and deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. And then the kicker, verse 25, therefore, laying aside falsehood, Speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. He's kind of primarily, he's talking about church, church family, other believers, but the whole context is, hey, believers should be known for their truthfulness, and we should speak truth in love. That's the saying that I've shared with you. That you know, we hammer on our staff, or I hammer on our staff, which is, love first, lead second. But always do both. You know, as, as a leader at grace, you love first. You love people first. But you lead second. And leading means you tell them the truth. And you to be a leader, you have to do both. You can't just do one. can't just tell them a bunch of truth and not care about them. And you can't just love them and just be a blind eye to everything that, that's wrong. Love first lead second, but always do both. We love by speaking truth, or we speak the truth in love. So as followers of Jesus, we know now that our sins have been paid for in Christ, past, present, future. And as we try to follow Christ We want to do what God tells us to do. If we don't have a desire to follow Christ in these things, then that's evidence that we're not really a believer. But as believers, in gratitude for his forgiveness for us, we want to follow him. And as far as the old things in the past, remember, he's forgiven us. He's cleansed us. He's washed us. He's made us new. He's given us new direction for us to follow. He he invites us in to fellowship with him. That's what he wants for us in our life every day. And so when we get into habits and a habit of being not fully truthful, We need to adjust that, change it. And the way we do that is we ask God, we invite God through his spirit to search our hearts. We ask God, God, where am I not being truthful or fully truthful in my life? Where am I fudging? Where am I deceiving? Where am I not being totally honest? And we figure that out and then we admit it that's called confession. We admit it to God. And then we determine not to do it again. That's called repentance, where we change our mind about that. I don't want to do that anymore. And we, that causes us to change direction. We walk a different way. And we ask God's help every step of the way that we would be consistent. So that we would be known for our truthfulness. And on Father's Day, especially us as fathers. That we would be known to be straight shooters. We'd be known to be truthful because that's what God wants for all of his followers. Let's stand together. We'll close in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for your goodness, for your love. Father, thanks Uh, for those of us who are believers. Lord, we we thank you that even though we've sinned against you, you've sent your one and only son to to pay the just and right penalty for those sins. And because of that, through our trust in Christ, we don't have to pay that penalty because it's already been paid for. But Father, realizing that your spirit comes into our life when that trust happens, Lord, we ask, through your spirit, that you'd help us to live a life obedient to you, a life that's different, a life that's set apart, a life that's uniquely Christian, a life that stands out in our culture like a shining light. Lord, help us to live that way. Lord, give us strength. Lord, especially us dads. Lord, help us to make sure that our family sees us because it's true that we are truthful and honest and they can rely on what we say. God, help us to be who you want us to be. In Christ's name we we pray, amen.